You're listening to Video Monsters, a weekly podcast. Uh, well, uh, mostly weekly. Sometimes more, sometimes less. <sighs> All right, fine. A mostly weekly podcast of Creatures Talking Features with your hosts, Nathan Simmons and Eric Harris. Video Monsters is brought to you by the Chattanooga Film Festival and Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at chatfilmfest.org and centralcinema865.com. And links for each of these can also be found on our pages, so be sure to follow us at Video Monster Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Hello and welcome to Video Monsters, where we take movies seriously, just not ourselves. I'm Nathan. And I'm Eric. And tonight we're continuing on with our Twas the Heist Before Christmas. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We're, we're a little bit behind. A little bit. I mean, but that's, you know, that's uh, that's because we were planning a heist. Sure. It took a little bit longer to plan than we expected. There were some complications. Um, yeah. We, and what happened is that work kept heisting our time away from us. Yeah, it's so, actually more like we were the victims of a heist, that's true. Yeah, it's no fun. Uh, yeah, so tonight we are going to be talking about um, Bad Santa and Trapped in Paradise. Yep. And uh, before we even get to Trapped in Paradise, typically, like before we start the episode, uh, Eric and I will just banter back and forth and we'll be talking about what our general thoughts of the movie were. We'll have kind of a, a rough idea of where the reviews are going. And I very specifically told him to not tell me anything about what he thought about trapped in paradise so yeah so your reactions to my reactions to the film are going to be uh, <laughs> caught live in person on the podcast it's probably just going to be like dude it's stupid why did we watch this but i i, I don't want to know we'll see. so before we get uh, into our reviews and we're going to do the same thing that we did on uh, on the last episode where we're doing mostly the same of what we do with our reviews with the prior information, what we thought of the movie from a technical standpoint, what we thought of it from an emotional standpoint, how rewatchable is it, and uh, who we recommend the movie for, slash how well does it fit the theme, um, with just some slight variations. Uh, some, of the, some of the categories, we're going to double them up, and then we'll split them up. But we're going to cover basically all that same information for both of the movies. But before we get to that... For our Christmas Spect Adequate episode this year, we are doing a countdown of the top Santa slasher flicks, mm. which I am super <laughs> excited about. Yeah, I've been watching a ton of Killer Santa movies. I haven't started yet. Yeah. Well, I, you- <laughs> I'm very behind. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've probably seen, I had seen like almost, I don't think I've seen any Killer Santa movies up until this week. I've not or seen enough week. of the ones that we actually have on the list. Right, yeah. The uh, the list provided by a friend of the podcast, Mark Christopher Cavino, and uh, hopefully he's going to be able to join us for that countdown. Um, but leading up to that, we want your opinions. Like, we need feedback from you because we're basing the uh, the order, the ranking, on, on your feedback. So, uh, yeah, go to facebook.com slash videomonsterpod and uh, that should be the pinned post at the top. Click on that survey and let us know which movies you think are the best Santa slasher flicks because mm-hmm. we need that. And you can find it on Twitter too. I've got it. I'm going to pin it on my Twitter. Yeah. I need to do that. I've, I've tweeted about it, but I haven't pinned it. Well, it, it, it's on our various social medias, but uh, Facebook's the only place that I knew that I pinned it. Um, yeah, so please fill that out and then share it with your friends because we, we need a lot more responses than the amount that we've got right now. 
Yeah, I'm I, I'm going to also vote. I don't know if that's allowed or not, but I'm going to, whether yeah. it is or not. Um, I just need to watch a few more movies. I've got like two more movies I need to watch to really feel confident in my rankings. Nah, just kind of go with go with, go with your heart. Just that's, pick Satan Claus for all of them. What is? I don't even know what that is. It's that's, one of the movies on the list. Is it really okay? Yeah. That's one that I haven't watched. So uh, yeah. Well, I have two, three movies, three more movies to watch <laughs> before I vote. Uh, well, at least two of the movies that are on the list, uh, hey, segue, um, played at Central Cinema or are going to play. They played Silent Night, Deadly Night back at the beginning of December. Mm-hmm. But the one that I am so excited that they're playing and God, I hope this is like an annual thing for them. Uh, they're doing Dial, so Dial Code Santa Claus this week, December 17th through the 19th. Or December 17th and 19th. I think it's just and. So, yeah. It looks it, like it. Yeah. Tonight or uh, Thursday. And, um, yeah, you, you need to go see that one. Yeah. I started watching it this morning on Shudder, um, and it is fantastic. Like, it is so good. So much better than I was expecting. Like, it is a genuinely well-made movie. Um, so, that would be a fantastic movie to see on the big screen with a crowd. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Central Cinema also has oh god what are some of the other things they have coming up Killer Raccoons 2 <laughs> Dark Christmas in the Dark god I love that <laughs> they're having a uh, cabaret show Boobs Over Broadway uh, they're going to be screening Scrooged on December 22nd or sorry 21st through the 23rd that one almost fits with the Santa Slashers because there's like that fake movie at the beginning yeah so they're it, like it, dark version of a Christmas Carol that yeah they're, that they're like, filming which it kind of exists now with that. There's like a weird guy, Pierce Santa. I mean, a Christmas Carol movie. Sorry, I've got Santa's on the brain. Sure. Uh, Christmas Carol movie that looks, it's on, uh, is it on FX? I think maybe it's a TV I, I show, TV movie, something like that. I don't, I don't know. think looks, that I've seen that. It's like, it's like even darker than the normal Christmas Carol. It's super weird. I don't know. It's just a weird. But it's supposed to be dark. That's also, what I'm saying. That's why it's a weird, it's a weird um, story to make like a dark and gritty version of because it's already kind of. Well, so there. I was uh, I started reading an article the other day, didn't have a chance to finish about like why America doesn't have ghosts or like scary things as part of Christmas, because, you know, like you go to a lot of English Christmas tradition and like ghosts <clears throat> and goblins are just like kind of a part of it, like mm-hmm. other uh, other countries have that darker aspect just built in. And I think that makes a lot more sense because Christmas always there. It isn't always the uh, brightest time of the year. Yeah. And I think sure. other countries are just like, yeah, we know it sucks. And so here's why you should celebrate rather than America where well, it's like, it's Christmas, damn it. We're trying to fool ourselves into thinking yeah. everything is merry and bright. Yeah, man. That's what I love about. I'm excited about this killer Santa thing we're going to do because uh, it's going to be we're going to be talking about the dark side of Santa, which I feel like there is like one. His butt? No. <laughs> I mean, maybe I don't know. That might come up. But I was like, in watching all of these killer Santa movies, a lot of them actually like are just playing on the tropes of Santa that already exists and just kind of take them to like their dark conclusion. And I find that very interesting. And it's kind of just opened my eyes to like how kind of terrifying Santa Claus is as a figure given what he does yeah oh like uh i I turned on santa claus is coming to town the other day for my kid and i started singing the song and i was like you know what i do not want to tell my kid that there is this otherworldly creature who sees him when he's sleeping yeah and that he better watch (laughs) out because he's coming down the chimney and it's like no 
No, I don't, I don't feel like telling him about what, that. One movie that we're going to talk about is, uh, I'm sure we're going to talk about it, is Christmas Evil. Uh, <laughs> and I watched that recently. And it's funny because I feel like that, that movie is basically like taking a whole bunch of, like the whole idea behind is it's taking a bunch of Christmas songs and turning elements of them into a horror movie, kind of. Well, Christmas Evil is getting a lot of votes. So, yeah, we're definitely going to be talking about oh, that nice. one. Uh, but, yeah, we, we need a lot more people to vote. Just jumping back to that. Please vote. Back to Central Cinema. They are screening The Muppet Christmas Carol, one of my oh, all-time favorite version, Christmas movies. The best version of A Christmas Carol. It, it's not Christmas until I watch Muppet Christmas Carol. Like, even on Christmas Eve, if I've seen it 20 times that month, I'm going to watch it one more time before going to sleep. Uh, then they've got a, yeah, a a decent Christmas body horror with uh, Tim Allen's The Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah, speaking of Santa horror movies. <laughs> then, then they're screening the perfect Christmas movie on Christmas Eve and Christmas. Everyone say it with me now. Die, die hard. hard. And then after that, they've got Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Uh, it's, I don't, it's not the best Harry Potter one of my favorites um in terms of movies the half-blood prince is probably my least favorite of all of them it's, but it's still good i mean i still like all the harry potter movies yeah but they're doing that's part of their they're doing a whole they've been playing yeah all, they've, they've been playing the, the harry potter um, then they've got the departed coming up on december 28th and 29th and then the peanut butter solution december 27th through 30th and then uh closing out the year with a skate video night which i think is just you know like home movies of people skating and falling and hurting themselves oh that sounds like fun i, I hope that's what it is <laughs> i really hope that it's just, <laughs> just watching a YouTube, youtube compilations of people falling down kind of like Kinda. instead of doing that at home like you know i do almost every night <laughs> um if, if if ali and i are feeling sad or down or something we just watch videos of people falling down and that always cheers us up yeah pretty much so yeah that's a great uh, way to that's a great way to end 2019 it's just watching people just fall. watching people get hurt and um you know enjoying enjoying their misery yeah it's sad <laughs> uh yeah so you can get the full schedule or get tickets to any of these films at centralcinema865.com so go do that it's a great lineup love all of those movies all right let's talk about these movies these well, movies being movies? bad santa okay and uh, trapped in paradise <laughs> all right are we going bad santa first yeah let's let's start with bad santa and um again let's do the prior information on both of them together because I, I just feel like that makes a little bit more sense. So, uh, so yeah, what prior information do you have on Bad Santa and Trapped in Paradise? Uh, I'd never seen Bad Santa before um, last week, and uh, I it's one of those movies that I feel it's weird that I haven't seen it because I used to watch all of those, um, basically all of those comedy movies in the early two thousands. Um, but yeah, anyway, I'd never seen it before. I think I, I used to not really like Billy Bob Thornton that much, so I think that's part of it. I don't know what was wrong with me. I, God, I love I him now. Seriously. Um, but uh, yeah, this is just first time watch. I wasn't really expecting to enjoy it very much because I was afraid it would be that kind of vulgar humor that... I mean, mm-hmm. again, like all the, a lot of those early 2000s movies outside of the Apatow stuff, I don't really care for very much. Um and even a lot of the Aptel stuff isn't really great. Um, but yeah, I just I didn't expect it to be a movie that held up very well. Right. Um, and yeah, that's about it. We have very different experiences <clears throat> once we get to uh, to our thoughts on it. Yeah. Um, yeah, my prior information for, for Bad Santa, it, it, it's along those same lines. Um, like, I, I expected it to be that sort of, you know, vulgar, early Audis humor. Um, and... And for me, it lived up to the expectations. That's not 
necessarily a good thing. Um, I I didn't know this is like a retroactive prior information. It's something that I didn't really know until like midway through the movie, but that also shaped my uh, perception of the movie. Uh, directed by Terry Zweigoff, uh, and he did Crumb, Ghost World, Art School Confidential. So like he's done a lot darker, like drier movies. Bad Santa seems kind of anomalous in his filmography, right? And and we're gonna touch on that um, in terms of like ah, I I don't know if that's gonna fall under technical or emotional, but we're we're gonna touch on how. Um, how his handling of the movie and potentially how the uh, the studio's handling of the movie shaped our different oh, yeah. experiences. Speaking of, I, I should have mentioned, I watched the theatrical cut because yes, there we, was an, there's a theatrical cut, a director's cut, and an unrated version. And I'm totally opposed to unrated versions of movies because it's basically, here's some deleted scenes that we threw in there. Right. Yeah. There, there's uh, a reason I, those scenes were deleted. <laughs> I also watched just the theatrical cuts. I meant to go back and watch the director's cut, but... I read a little bit about it. It sounds... Didn't have time. Interesting. Yeah. But we'll get into it a little bit. So, yeah, my expectation was it was just going to be raunchy humor, and while sometimes I think that that can work when, uh, like, when it's done really well and, like, some of the expectations and why the raunchiness matters, I think that mm. that can make it funny. But when it's just raunchy for the sake of being raunchy, that that's not always funny to me. No, it's, just it's kind usually of like, not to me. It's it's just like a one trick pony, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll get into which one of us thought which about this movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't really like humor that is just trying to shock you. I, yeah. I mean, depending on how it's used, it it can be it can be great, but a lot of times it just feels like it's just put in there for shock value, and I just I don't find that funny. Yeah, which typically. you know, like most of the Apatow stuff, like. They're raunchy, but there's are, a lot of heart behind it, I think, in a lot of his movies. We have very differing opinions. We're not going to go on an Apatow <laughs> uh, uh, tangent. However, I absolutely adore Freaks and Geeks. It mm-hmm. is, oh my God, it's such an amazing show. And it's really funny because it's being played genuine. Yeah. So many of the movies that Apatow has done since Freaks and Geeks, there's like snippets that are absolutely hilarious. And then, like, 90 other minutes worth of just dick and fart jokes. And... Oh, I think you're so I, sure. I'm exaggerating. Especially his movie. The movies... I mean, I haven't seen This I'm, is 40, but... I'm exaggerating. <laughs> but most of Apatow's stuff, it's like, parts of them are so good. And if he went a little bit more on that side of things mm-hmm. and just dropped some of the raunchiness for the sake of being raunchy, I feel like they would be stronger movies. But we'll, we'll yeah. do an Apatow series at some point. And maybe my opinions will change. Maybe I'll rewatch them and be like, oh, oh, yeah, I was just watching these as, you know, like a 18 year old kid laughing at dick jokes and then realizing it's not that funny before <laughs> realizing, oh, wait, no, there's more heart in here than I realized. So yeah. we should also views, do views might change. We should also do Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, which I think is one of the best oh comedies of the aughts. <laughs> Harold and Kumar's uh, Christmas special. It's not good, but oh, my God, I love it. I'm a, the first movie I think is I think the first movie is a genuinely great movie. The sequels are solid. I mean, I I do like the Christmas one. Uh, the Christmas one's a very solid Christmas comedy. Like last year, uh, I think when my wife was still, like I I had taken off work, my wife was still working, and I forget if my kid was in daycare at that point. I don't know, but um, I spent like a day watching like the night before and Harold and Kumar's Christmas. You know, like the raunchier Christmas comedies that mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have a chance to watch otherwise. <laughs> Not before. That was a really fun day. Yeah. 
It sounds like a lot of fun. I I really enjoyed all this. Yeah. Let's talk about these movies. Yeah, we should. Let's do that. Trapped in Paradise. What's your prior? (laughs) Trapped in Paradise. I I literally literally did not know that Trapped in Paradise existed until you brought it up when we were talking about this. And I was like, okay, Nathan, I guess I'll I'll, uh, indulge you your, your pick. Um, so the only real thing that I looked up about this movie beforehand was Roger Ebert's review. And I am going to read the last paragraph of this review because, uh, this is basically my expectations of the movie in a bottle. And I also think that it's fun because it connects to our previous episode, uh, because so much of what we're going to talk about is just like a black mirror version of last week's episode. Yeah, because here, here's the last paragraph. It says, listen, you want to see a comedy about a nice family that ends up playing host to criminals on Christmas Eve? Rent the Ref, which came out earlier this year and is now in video stores, which we talked about last week. My rating, three stars. As for Trapped in Paradise, it should be preserved by the Library of Congress as an example of creative desperation. <laughs> it plays like a documentary about a, gr- about a group of actors forced to perform in a screenplay that contains not one single laugh or moment of wit or flash of intelligence, or reason for being. So, that is my prior information. For there were at least two spots that I genuinely laughed at. I laughed. Should I? I don't, I don't know if I even want to get into it yet. Nathan. We'll, we'll so get into that with the emotion. Let's, let's say that that this movie. My ex, that was my expectation. We'll get into how I felt. Yeah. So my <laughs> prior information. I remember renting this like from the video store. And thinking at the time, how the mighty have fallen, because it's Nick Cage and John Lovitz and Dana Carvey and like a bunch of other John Lovitz, the mighty. (laughs) Look, John Lovitz used to be mildly humorous, but Dana Carvey and Nick Cage. And sure, this was a few years after uh, Raising Arizona, but like it was still when Nick Cage was young enough that he was doing like intentional comedies Mm -hmm. rather than just being off the wall zany before circling back around to embracing his craziness. Yes. And like I, I expected this movie to be genuinely hilarious and I was so disappointed. And last week when we uh, were, were previewing the, uh, the movies that we were going to talk about in this episode and I was laughing about how Trapped in Paradise is not good. And oh, God, did I did I, I think that I sent this um, I think that I sent this to you after the episode. So it was like when you were watching it, I want to I want to make sure that I can find um how how it is that i phrased it so Something about enjoying it as a schadenfreude yes <laughs> so so i was uh texting eric um when i was re-watching it and since you got to read a quote i'll quote myself so i said to eric it's almost funny how bad it is like you know when you're in a socially awkward situation that is super uncomfortable but then there's someone else who's even more uncomfortable and you can't help but chuckle at their discomfort. That's kind of what uh, it's like watching this movie. The schadenfreude isn't the discomfort of the people in the movie, though. It's the discomfort of other people watching the movie. And <laughs> that's why I didn't want to know your thoughts about it until we start talking about it is because it's not good. Like even having seen it and knowing what I was getting into, I was like, this it's so bad. I can't believe you've seen this movie oh, more than once. It's by the way. so bad. <laughs> And I also have positive things to say about it. Um, it's not a good movie. You, you watching tra- you thinking about me watching Trapped in Paradise is like me watching people <laughs> falling off of skateboards. It's yes. that's <laughs> pretty much. Uh, and Trapped in Paradise also, 
I had uh, a, a very similar revelation where it's like a retroactive prior information in terms of how it shaped my thoughts on the movie. Eric and I were talking about it, and, uh, and and I was saying, like, how good the movie could have been. Like, it's not that far from a really, really good, like, dark comedy uh, Christmas heist movie. I was like, you know, if it had been more like Midnight Run, at, at which point Eric pointed out that it was written by the same person. Yeah. So, George Gallo, who wrote Midnight Run, wrote and directed Trapped in Paradise. Yeah, I think the... Uh the uh, I, the I, I still not, have a hard time. He did not that. direct Midnight Run. That was Martin Brest. Um, so I think that's probably the big thing. And um, also, according to IMDb, apparently he didn't uh, really do much directing on Trapped in Paradise either. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe if he had, it wouldn't have been so bad. Yeah, George Gallo. Uh, he wrote Bad Boys and The Whole Ten Yards, and so like he's written some really really funny movies. The Whole Ten Yards is a funny movie. He's written some acceptable <laughs> movies and some very funny movies. He's also written some very bad movies. He did a double take with um, Eddie Griffin. Eddie Griffin yeah. and uh, what's his name? <laughs> the old Mountain Dew guy. I can't remember. Orlando Jones. Jones. I yeah. almost said Bloom and that was not that is not correct. <laughs> I would love to see Double Take redone with Eddie Griffin <laughs> and Orlando Bloom. <laughs> I've never seen Double Take. I have no it's, idea. But. It, it's a body swap movie where they're not actually swapping bodies. They're just like trading the, places yeah which uh trading place is going to come up at some point in this i have to mention it's not good <laughs> anywho my prior information and how it shaped my expectations it's it, trapped in paradise is not a good movie and i expected to have some fun not fun with it yeah yeah yep so let's start with bad santa all right what you <laughs> what did you think of bad santa from a technical standpoint. So um, I think that Bad Santa is actually a pretty mostly well-written movie. Um, the one thing that I really like about this movie is the way that the plot is set up where, um, first of all, I was a little alarmed at first because the movie opens with um, some narration. So of, let, let me add this super quick. Okay. I have a feeling that our technical and emotional on both of these movies is gonna be like just They're going back and forth okay because a lot of my technical is going to rely on how it made me feel emotionally mm-hmm. and like emotionally if this had been done better technically so i i expect that to go back and forth so technical and emotional for bad santa okay so um i think that the movie is very well written for the most part although the very opening of the movie i was a little concerned that i was not going to enjoy it because First of all, if you look at the director's cut of the movie, the mo- it has the same opening scene but without narration, apparently, um, because the narration was put in there according to the director. He didn't want it in there, but he said that they added it to uh, tell the audience that it was okay to laugh at this person. Yeah. And I knew that before I watched the movie and listening to the opening narration where he's talking about like his dad abusing him and all of this other stuff. I'm like, this opening narration makes this scene less funny to me. <laughs> like this does not tell me it's okay to laugh. This this is horrifying to me that there's just this sad, sad guy sitting at a bar talking about how he was abused and uh, what like his dad put out cigarettes on him. I mean, it's like the John Bender kind of thing for yeah. Breakfast Club. I was like, this is just sad. This isn't funny at all. And then it gets into him like pissing himself on like on the job being as a Santa. And I'm like, this just isn't funny. This is just kind of gross and weird. So the first like 10 minutes of this movie, I was like, no, this is I don't I don't know how I feel about this at all. I don't think I'm going to enjoy it. 
And then you get to the scene where um, Tony Cox is, they're shutting down, the, the mall is closing down. And Tony Cox has been hiding inside, uh, he's like Billy Bob Thornton's partner. He's been hiding inside a snowman costume. And he has to run across the mall in his snowman costume to stop the alarm before like the, the countdown has stopped the alarm before the countdown ends and uh it is absolutely hysterical like i laughed my ass off in that scene and everything else from that movie picks up pretty well like i really enjoy it the dialogue is consistently funny um i really enjoy all of the characters with one notable exception um billy bomb thornton is just so funny and is one of the only people who I think could pull this off. Like I was reading about it and it said that they talked to like some of the other people they considered for this movie was like Keanu Reeves was somebody that was considered to play no. the bad Santa. That would have been terrible. No. As much as I love Keanu Reeves, there's no way that would have worked. They had like Bill Murray, which I think could have been good, but also Bill Murray's really, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I love Bill Murray. I would have been interested in seeing that movie. Um, there were a few other people that was just kind of like whatever but anyway Billy Bob Thornton's performance is kind of the heart and soul of the movie because he's so good at being an asshole but he also is really good at just being pathetic and um, I don't know it just it works really well to make you kind of empathize with him even as he's doing like really horrible things Um, Tony Cox is great John Ritter and uh, Bernie Mac are both incredible in this movie especially john ritter god rest their souls god i know it's so it was so sad watching this movie because they're both dead now and oh man like this i kept thinking i was like man it's why are you laughing nathan you're a terrible person (laughs) it's the way that you said it because i was like you know god rest their souls they're both dead now yeah i mean this is john ritter's last movie and it's actually a pretty decent one to go out on because he's so funny like there's a part where he first talks to Billy Bob Thornton's character and he says, fuck stick. And later on in the movie, he's like, he is so appalled. And he's like, he's not going to say fuck stick in front of the children, is he? And it's like, no, 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 no. This is this is an adult world. Like, these are adult words. It's okay. It's okay. We're adults here. I don't know. It's just so funny. I just love how appalled he is, but also like how he tries to be cool, I guess, in a way. And also the way he... He keeps referring, like, he doesn't know how to refer to Tony Cox's character because he's a little person. Right. And he, at first he says midget, and then he's like, I I don't know if you're supposed to call them midgets or if he's a dwarf. And he's, like, talking about his fingers. And he's like, you know, he's, he's got, he doesn't have, like, the thick, he doesn't have the long fingers. He's got, like, the thick fingers. I don't know. And I'm just like, (laughs) he just keeps going on and on. And it's such a train wreck. But it's so funny to see him, like, genuinely trying to be, you know, sensitive to, to to Tony Cox's character and Bernie Mac is just sitting there staring at him. Bernie Mac has a look of incredulity on his face <clears throat> the entire movie and it is the best thing ever. <sighs> I miss I miss Bernie Mac. I like Bernie Mac. You love this movie <clears throat> so much more than I do. I really like it. I really do. I think it's so funny and I love the way that it skewers every single Christmas trope while also being like, you know, genuinely kind of heartwarming toward the end in such a subversive way. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really good movie. I think I, okay. Other than I disagree. So here, here's the thing. I do not think that bad Santa is a bad movie. Like I want to start by saying that I enjoyed watching it. Uh, and I'm going to get into the technical merits and the things that I think were done really well. I, 
I don't think that it lived up to the hype for me. And I, I'm sure that that's part of it is, you know, I didn't watch it when it first came out. I'm watching it, what, 16 years later? It came out in 2004, right? Mm. Yeah, so I'm watching it 16 years later. 2003. Okay, so 17 years later. <laughs> I'm watching it almost two decades later than when it came out. Right. And, you know, like, when it initially came out, there weren't many other movies like this. Like, the, the whole... Um, the whole like vulgar humor, especially around kids, wasn't a thing that uh, that was done with as much consistency. Yeah, I mean, there's there were no, definitely not movies like Bad News Bears. And, yeah, oh, which there was well, a remake I mean, there was of the with Bill Bob Thornton, but so, <laughs> yeah, like, in, you, you didn't get some of that like, stuff. So it was a little bit, um, a little bit groundbreaking, a little bit shocking, and so there was definitely humor in that, in just like putting you in the situation where you have to be like, whoa. Wait, are are they actually saying all of this in front of these kids? Are are they not like just turning the camera around so they're saying it, and then a different shot having the kids? Like, so there was some of that <laughs> stuff, and um, and you know, like I had, I had heard for years how funny people think Bad Santa is, and so for me, I think that just the expectations got to it, and so when I watched it, it was like it's, I mean, it's funny. It to me, it doesn't live up to it. Mm-hmm. And there's a few reasons why the biggest reason for me is it's the same joke over and over there were a few scenes in the movie that genuinely made me laugh but the entire movie itself it just felt like it it felt like the the person who tells a joke that is hilarious and so they keep telling the joke over and over and over again but like in front of the same people so it's like yeah dude i've heard that joke like five times already it's not funny anymore. So like in all these things that you were describing at the very beginning with like him pissing himself and just all this other stuff that you're like, eh, all right, fine. To me, that doesn't change just throughout the movie. It's like, I, yeah, I get why it's supposed to be funny, mm-hmm. but it's, I, to me, it's not. I also know that humor is subjective. Mm-hmm. So like, that is a huge piece well, and about the it. The interesting thing is I kind of agree with you. Like, I think all of the, all of the humor involving him being a bad Santa, like b- sitting on the, on his little Santa throne and like being mean to all the kids. I think that's the weakest part of the movie. Like yeah. all that stuff is really not that funny to me. Just like him being a dick to the kids. Yeah. Um, the stuff that I think works really well is a lot is more like the dialogue driven stuff. And some of the stuff that's like just, so ironic without people real like without the characters realizing how ironic how ironic it is like my favorite joke of the entire movie is um there's a scene where the kid oh god remind me to talk about the kid in this movie he's so um, hey he's uh, so in a fantastic. few minutes talk about the kid okay thank you we're, we're gonna do that because like that's one of the bright spots for them and again i don't hate this movie i really <laughs> right, enjoy yeah. it i i just have a lot of critical things to say it makes it sound like I think it's much worse than it is. Right. So, yes, one of your favorite lines in the movie. So, the the, <laughs> the best part of the movie is um, the kid who's so sweet, he gets picked on by these, like, skater punk kids. And at one point, Billy Bob Thornton gets fed up with it. And he goes and he beats the shit out of these teenage kids. They're, like, supposed to be, like, 15, 16 years old. <laughs> and that's the kind of thing where, you know, you would expect that to be the part that people think is funny oh he's beating up these kids that's hilarious and for me it's like okay yeah i mean i expected that to happen I, it was right. kind of funny you, i but, knew that was going to happen as soon as you saw those exactly. bullies it's like well obviously billy bob's going to beat them up at some point exactly but the funny part is right after that scene it smash cuts to him like in the locker room with tony cox 
and he's sitting there talking about the, his experience beating these children up and he's like you know I feel like I finally did something good with my life for once it made me feel good about myself <laughs> and, and that's funny and like Tony Cox is like you seriously need to go see a therapist <laughs> and like that is hilarious because he's doing something so horrible but it gives him value because he did something for someone else right no even though it was horrible well and it so, wasn't a, an entirely selfish act so the setup to the joke that most people think is the joke like you said him beating up the kids not funny the like and, almost <clears throat> subdued line after it that's where the humor is mm-hmm. and, and a, um, the movie does that a lot i think well, like i think that it wants the, you to think the bad santa stuff is what's funny but really it's the way that that sets up other things in the movie and and, and i'm getting to that the scene that I think is probably the funniest, at least the part that I was so caught off guard that I did laugh at it, <clears throat> was when John Ritter is walking through the department store and uh, Billy Bob Thornton is having sex with oh, uh, with someone in the changing room. That part is so not funny. And right. It's not funny. And he Billy Bob's character says to the girl, uh, you're not going to shit right for a week. All right, fine. Haha, ha, butt like, sex. That's fine, like whatever. I'm groaning when that happens. It's so. And yeah. he, here's the worst part but. about that joke is like a few scenes later, there is another woman that like calls back to that same line that yeah. he apparently. And it's like, it's not. God, it wasn't funny like the his, first time. Ugh. And and yeah. like that's his line that he. It's just it's not funny. What was hilarious, though, was John Ritter and Bernie Mac where John Ritter's going, because Bernie Mac is like the head of security. Uh, mm-hmm. And John Ritter's just like vague mall manager. Like he somehow manages the entire mall. I don't yeah. know. So he's talking to uh, John Ritter's talking to Bernie Mac and, <clears throat> and, he, and he's saying stuff about like, uh, you know, it just, it, it just seems wrong. You know, like I, I, I don't think it's illegal, but there's, there's just something <laughs> just off about him. And the one of the funniest lines of the movie, again, because of Bernie Mac's delivery, I think maybe he was eating an apple at the time, was like, oh, sure, Santa f***ing a woman in the ass. Like, it's not funny, but it was so funny because, like, yeah, that's the thing that you would just, expect his character to say, and that's why it's funny. How deadpan it is and how, the, like, the way that he verbalizes the things that John Ritter is afraid to say. Exactly. It's, it's so funny. And I also, like, his character is incredible. I love the, the, there are all these little details that, like, show that he has constipation. Did you notice that? Like, there's a scene in the movie where he's, like, um, pouring, like, laxative into his drink and... Uh, stirring it there's like i don't know just like all of the little things that he's doing in the movie that they don't really point out like when he's getting a pedicure uh i don't know there's just like the like trying to figure out what he is doing throughout the day while he's also investigating billy bob thornton is just so funny and like why he's doing what he's doing and why he wears a cowboy hat and a bolo tie like none of these things are ever explained but it's just so funny the way he's and (laughs) and this is where the movie circles back around to when I found out uh, that the director had done other movies like Ghost World, if this had been a much, much darker, drier, uh, almost like film noir, because they do have some of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like even in the very beginning with the dialogue, like it kind of sets it up to be noir-esque. Um, and the fact that so much of the humor is built around just the sadness of things. Like, okay, the the ending scene, which... <laughs> I, I don't want to spoil, but it's also 17 years old. 
the fact that he gets the wrong uh, spoiler the fact that he picks up the wrong toy to take back to the kid yeah he he sits there and has a moment trying to figure out which one it is and then he picks (laughs) the wrong one and he like basically almost dies trying to get this toy to this kid the wrong toy that to me is hilarious <laughs> the things that are like almost coen brothers-esque of like it's not an outright funny but like when you think about the absurdity of it that's where the humor is well one thing we haven't point, pointed out is that the coen brothers produced this movie they, yeah and apparently did some uh, uncredited rewrites because this movie oddly enough was written by um john requa and glenn Ficarra, who did who directed like crazy stupid love and are um, some of the people who are behind uh, This Is Us. So this feels very outside of their wheelhouse. I feel like their original script probably was very different and a lot more sentimental than what we got. Probably not quite as dark. I, I don't know. See, and I'm, before this, the only other movie they had really worked on was Cats and Dogs. I'm so thinking weird. that the movie did start out much darker. Um, or that could be it. Too, but yeah. then like the studio was like, no, you can't do that. We have to add in this other stuff to to make Billy Bob uh, a lovable character. So well, think- major, 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 major spoiler. I don't think that he should have lived like and, and so this yeah. this is where uh-huh. like the technical and my enjoyment of it kind of where it starts to bleed over is, yeah, the movie was fine and humor subjective, all that other stuff. But if it had been more of the movie that I wasn't expecting it to be. Mm-hmm. So if it had been a darker, um, you know, more ghost world mixed with Coen Brothers style humor to where you're not supposed to laugh outright at anything. But then when you're talking about it later and you kind of chuckle at, oh, right, <laughs> he got the wrong toy. Mm-hmm. Man, the like his big redemption he got the wrong thing. That's funny. Those are the things that I wish the movie had really, really focused on. And and I think that it was leaning that way. But I think that especially in the early oddies, the producers were like, oh, you're, th- this is supposed to be a comedy. It's not funny enough. Go make it funny. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, I, I mean, we can't add lighthearted humor into this because this isn't a light story. It's supposed to be dark. You're kind of supposed to hate these people. Well, then add in more dick jokes. Like, I, I feel yeah. like that was the progression. And and I hate that, especially since I didn't have a chance to watch the director's cut. Yeah, because, I mean, Ter- Terry Zweigoff's uh, main criticism of the theatrical cut of the movie is that he thinks it is too funny, which is kind of an odd criticism to have. I, th- I mean, but I think, I mean, given what you're saying, it does make sense. I kind of fall under I don't care because it's so funny. Like some of the stuff that happens in this movie is so funny that I love it. I mean, like, I don't want that stuff cut out of it. To me, it's not funny enough to carry the movie. And (sighs) I I know that that might sound blasphemous to the lovers of Bad Santa out there. And I'm not saying that it's bad. I'm not saying that it sucks. It's just it did not live up to the expectations of being just an uproarious laugh fest. Well, I think one thing, too, that that I think makes it work is I do think it it juggles the tones pretty well. There are parts of the movie that get a a lot more serious and like dark than you expect. Like there's Billy Bob Thornton has an attempted suicide scene, which I think happens right before he goes and beats up the teenagers. Like that's what convinces him not to kill himself. But like, there's a part where he, he's like in a car and, uh, trying to do the carbon monoxide poisoning. Yeah. Um, and the kid comes in and he's like, Santa, what are you doing? And like Billy Bob's just a, like on the verge of death. <laughs> and it's legitimately really sad. Uh, especially with that kid being involved and it always like breaks my heart when kids are involved and stuff like that um all but, of the interaction between billy bob and the kid 
I love those parts. The kid in this movie has impeccable comic timing because the best jokes, like my, some of my favorite jokes in the movie are how Billy Bob does like all of these horrible things and says these horrible things in front of the kid and the kid just kind of stares at him for a beat and then he goes, okay, Santa, so uh, can I make you a sandwich? Like he just, it doesn't even, <laughs> it's like he's internalizing it, but it doesn't actually register with him what Santa is doing. Right. And I love the payoff to that because the payoff is that you think that this kid genuinely believes that he is Santa Claus. And in the end, he's like, no, I understand that you're not Santa Claus. I just like to believe that you're Santa. Like it's so heartwarming and also heartbreaking at the same time. Like the things that this kid has gone through in his life. It's it, it's fantastic. It's yeah. wonderful. And if that had been the movie, like if the entirety of the movie had been Billy Bob and the kid. Um, and it's like they it, make you I, think this I kid is a, really dumb, but I he's actually a, so much smarter than you realize. Uh, the kid played by Brett Kelly, mm-hmm. who like his credit in the movie is just the kid. Although so, he does have a name. Does he? Yeah. Remember his name? It's on the uh, it's on his report card. Oh, shit. What is it? It's hilarious. His name is. Oh, oh, that's right. Because Billy Bob made fun of it. He makes fun of his name. Oh, my God. I wrote this down. I cannot remember what his name yeah. is, though. Um, shoot. It, it's it's like. Herm, it, like Thurman Merman. Is yeah. His name. Thurman Merman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, your name is Thurman Merman. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just so, thought that's so funny. If, if that had been the focus of the movie with just like a couple of little snippets here and there of bad Santa being bad Santa, that to me, it would have been a much, much better movie. But, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't know this, you know, I don't know for a fact, but I feel like it was studio involvement saying, mm-hmm. make it funnier, cut out the kid crap. Cause it's not funny enough. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're making people sad, but uh, I think there's like some, I, and I, I do think it's legitimately clever, like even outside of the humor, I do think it's legitimately like a clever, well-structured movie. Like it functions as a movie and not just as a series of, I mean, again, to make the Apatow comparison, it doesn't feel like a series of improvisations. Like sure. the plot is actually pretty well set up. I do like that the movie as a heist movie, one thing that is for all these heist movies that we've been covering so far, all the heists are like, all the movies are based on the fact that the heist goes wrong. And in this movie, what happens is that they're actually like the movie begins with a heist that goes perfectly. And you learn that these guys are actually really good at doing what they do, which is they go and pose as a mall, as mall Santa and a mall elf. So that way they can get into the, they only work like two months out of the year to be the, the mall, the mall, whatever, like the Santa. Yeah, and we, then they get all the money and then Billy Bob just f***s off to Florida for the rest of the year. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Just quick side note. I love the, the scene where he's behind the counter and you think that he's a bartender during like the off season but it turns out he's just behind the bar stealing drinks and the bartender shows up he's like what the hell are you doing back there and he has to run away that scene was funny so funny because (laughs) that scene made me laugh uh yeah we forgot to mention that the theme with tonight's episode with it being uh twas the heist before christmas these are heist movies that depend on the fact that it is christmas yeah last time it was just heist movies that the setting just so happens to be christmas time the heist had nothing to do with it being christmas Mm -hmm. with bad santa and with trapped in paradise even though you disagree we'll get into this yep uh it depends on the fact that it is christmas time yeah i 
I, I enjoy Bad Santa. I'll watch it again. I'm definitely going to watch the director's cut. Mm-hmm. But based off of um, you know, based off of what you've said and what little I've read about the director's cut, I feel like that is going to be the version that I watch because. Again, the the theatrical and unrated are just kind of like I, I don't. Eh. Yeah, eh. I'm not even gonna watch the unrated. This it's eh. like it gives you more. Which speaking of this is gonna lead into my my biggest criticism of the movie, <clears throat> and it's Lauren Graham's character. It's not Pointless. Lauren Graham. Great actress. She's fantastic. She makes the role almost work. Um, it's not really her fault, but it is. It's it's basically the obligatory love interest thing that they that was you had to do in all these comedies where there's a female character in the movie. She's not developed she is his at all. Pixie dream girl. Yeah. I mean, basically like the only, she exists in this movie because she has a Santa fetish and that yeah. is the only thing you really get to know about her character other than the fact that she actually likes kids and Billy Bob doesn't, which begs the question, why the, why does she spend so much time with him? Like, He's even when he's not being Santa, she's still with him and hanging out with him, even though he is an irredeemable piece of shit. Well, because and she that, is a good person. That is the goodish. That goodish, is the yeah. movie telling you this is why Billy Bob uh, has some sort of redemption is because this woman who actually does care about kids sees something good in him, and this kid who is just a kind, sweethearted child, sees something good in him. So it's but the, you never get, it, it, you never, the audience you, doesn't see the good you in don't, him. Well, right. Other than the advent calendar thing where he fixes his advent calendar. You I don't think. see a redemption story for Billy Bob. You are forced into being told this is what is happening by these other very blatant things that are mm-hmm. uh, going on around him. And then you get that one line at the very end of it's Christmas. Stop stealing things as we are stealing all of this money. Yeah. Like, it, it just feels so forced, and that, again, is why I think that he needed to die. I think that his, like, when he's gunned down by police, again, major spoilers, whatever, it's 17 <laughs> years old. Um, Like, when he's gunned down, that should have been the ending, mm-hmm. because... Like he's it looks like it, it should have. It looks like it was made to be the ending because yeah. when he's gunned down, you get like the crane shot that you almost like when you see a crane shot at the end of a movie. It's like or, or toward the end of the movie, it's like oh, okay, there's the there's the yeah, that's like the, that's the where the you ending. start on the credits. Because like if he had been a terrible person throughout, and then in that last moment, he's like, oh, you know what? Maybe I should be good. But like that's when life catches up with him. Mm-hmm. That would have worked for me. Yeah. And once we get through uh, our review of Trapped in Paradise, which we'll start in just a second, um, we'll talk about how these movies compare to the ones we talked about last week because it, to me, is a little insane how many similarities uh, each of these movies have. There are a lot of parallels, yeah. Y- yeah. Um, all right. Let, let's, let's go ahead and start diving into Trapped in Paradise. So, okay. Eric. What would you think about Trapped in Paradise? Trapped in Paradise. Um, so we're doing technical and emotional yeah, at the same time. Yeah, it's, because it's, it is definitely going to overlap. So here's the thing. So I know that Roger Ebert said that there is, uh, said the thing about how it feels like that it was a movie that is a, a documentary about actors who are acting under duress with a script that contains not one single laugh. There are at least two laughs. There is one laugh there are two there is a laugh for me <laughs> there, there might there might be two there might there's some things in the there's movie a that laugh are and a chuckle there's some things that are somewhat amusing there's one move the one part of this movie that i genuinely like laughed out loud that i think is hysterical I, I don't know why this is where i'm starting off i guess it's because it's my favorite part of the movie and maybe the only good thing i can say about it 
you know, spoiler for my reaction later. Eh. There is a scene where Nicolas Cage is trying to create a diversion because he is about to be seen by the cops while he's carrying a duffel bag full of money. And um, he's also being pursued by, well, he, there's F, there are FBI agents and then there are local cops. And he takes the gun of a local cop, shoots it into the ground and goes, oh my God, a gun. <laughs> and it is like exactly the kind of performance you expect out of like a crazy Nicolas Cage thing. And it is absolutely hysterical. This movie has a it lot of really bad so Nick Cage moments. Funny. It is so funny the way that he plays it off. And here's the thing I like. Here's here's the like, other thing I'll like say. Like when he's yelling for keys. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like you get the the big the oh, only real bright thanks. spot of the movie is Nicolas Cage and I appreciate the fact that Nicolas Cage Wrong. is actually acquitting himself like he is the only actor in the movie who feels like he really gives a shit about the movie and is trying you could argue that Dana Carvey is but I mean Dana Carvey is just I think that he's just so naturally talented at doing impressions and funny voices that I <laughs> What he's doing in this movie is so fucking weird and annoying. It, it's so weird and annoying. So much. Like it's one of those things where it's like I don't understand why he's he's supposedly supposed to be like trying to do an impression of Mickey Rourke, but it comes across more as like Woody Woodpecker. Yeah, uh, he's a cartoon character in a movie uh-huh. that is does not feel like it should be a cartoon. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It, it's so weird. Anyway, like what he's doing, he's doing it very well, but it's just the absolute wrong choice for this movie. <laughs> Like, it just does not make any sense. It is not funny. Again, he's doing it well, but it's just, it's so bizarre. John Lovitz is literally just there to be an asshole. This is the closest that you're ever going to see to a movie version of John Lovitz's SNL character, The Pathological Liar, Mm. with, I work for the local police. I mean, the FBI. I mean, uh, Space Force. Yeah, that's the ticket. Yeah, exactly. That character is, is kind of who he is. He, he literally is, he's like there in almost every scene, but he only speaks when they need someone to be hateable. Like you, they need someone to, to say something that you want to hate them for. Yeah. Like there are so many parts where it's just Nicolas Cage and sometimes Dana Carvey stealing stuff. And then all of a sudden John Lovitz pops in and he's like, Hey, I'm going to say something despicable to remind you that we're the bad guys and we need to do something bad. So that way it makes sense when we turn around and um, are good in the end. Yeah. When we feel bad about what we've done. <clears throat> so anyway, so that was, that was, I don't know why that was where I decided <laughs> to start off, but there you go. So the, uh, yeah, there are a lot of really great Nick Cage freakout moments, but for me, the two funniest scenes come from uh, Richard Jenkins' character, Agent Shadis Pizer. I do like Richard Jenkins. Oh, my God. I, I love think that he at, So, is... first off, at one point, he's talking about how much he hates that town. And, like, I, I'm pretty sure I even texted you when I got to that scene. And I was like, Richard Jenkins is all of us watching this movie. Yes. And he's like, absolutely. I hate this town. I hate this town. I hate this town. I yep. hate this town. <laughs> he is the audience avatar for sure. <laughs> So the scene that is not as funny, the scene that made me chuckle, uh, the family that, uh, all right, so the plot of um, of Trapped in Paradise is Dana Carvey and John Lovitz get out of jail because it's Christmas and there's overcrowding or something, and so people who are up for parole are being released, so they're released, and uh, one of their prison mates that, like, apparently kept talking about this bank in small town mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. We'll say Pennsylvania, whatever. I think it was Pennsylvania, maybe, or Virginia. Yeah. Or something. I don't know. Small town, northeast somewhere. 
where, you know, like there was no security guard, no cameras, all this other stuff. And but no one would be stupid enough to rob it because like this guy is like this big major crime boss. And you also major spoilers. Who cares? Come to find out that his daughter also works there. It's like no one would be stupid enough to do this except for Dana Carvey and John Lovitz. Mm -hmm. And they trick their brother, Nick Cage, because, sure, it makes sense that the three of those people are related. Yeah, I know, right? Like, it's so, <laughs> it's so bizarre. So they trick him into going into the town through a number of deceptions. And then once they are there, uh, they also convince him to rob the bank because they just so happen to have a trunk full of guns. And then yeah. as they are trying to escape, look, we're going to get into Good why Lord, this the is logic a, of this is so we insane. we are going to get into why this is a Christmas heist movie. Uh, the, as they're trying to escape, they are snowed in. And so they can't escape. And so they keep circling back around. And the family that keeps taking them in are the owners of the bank mm-hmm. who are just completely blind to the fact that these are the people who so robbed them. Here's here's the thing I really actually think. I think this movie has a fantastic premise. Like the idea behind it. It's we're, almost like we're, we're going to get to that. Okay. Hold, hold, right, hold on right. to that thought. I'm sorry. Because Go there ahead. are two main things that we're going to get into, like how this could have been an amazing movie. So, all of that little backstory, um, the the owner of the bank, they have a three-legged dog. I don't know why, because the dog is literally only in two scenes. The first scene, I actually to do set know why the there's joke, a dog there, by the way, is it's because one of the people who lived in the town had a three-legged dog, and they're like, hey, we should put that dog in the movie. That is literally why it's there. Sure, that makes sense. Yep. So, there's a three-legged dog who apparently... Uh, is just the dog of someone who lived there. The dog is in two scenes. The first scene is when Nick Cage is talking to uh, uh, Sarah, not Laura Flynn Boyle, but her bad imitation. You mean the woman who's in Twin Peaks? Yeah. That's that's not who it is, is it? No, she's in Twin Peaks. I don't know who she plays. I just know that she. The, uh, oh, it, Sarah is in Twin Peaks. No. Yes, Mad, Madchen Amick? Yeah, she's in Twin Peaks. Is she? Click on her name on IMDb. Well, right she's now. not Laura Flynn Boyle. No, she's Anyways. not Laura Flynn Boyle, but, she, but she's Boyle. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Nick Cage is talking to Madchen Amick, uh, character named Sarah Collins. Um, and just in the middle of the conversation, Nick Cage goes, there's a three-legged dog. Just, okay, yeah, thanks, <laughs> dude. And, like, that's it. And then much, much, much later, you have a... Um, a scene where they are all trapped inside of the house. There's gangsters. There's the police. All sorts of. It doesn't matter. It's so dumb. And the FBI uh, goes in. They raid the house. They're throwing in tear gas and all this other stuff as they're bringing people out of the house and arresting them. You see the three-legged dog hobble by, <laughs> and Richard Jenkins says, "We didn't do that, did we?" <laughs> See, you actually told me about this before I watched the movie, so I feel like it probably would have been a lot funnier if if I hadn't known about it ahead of time. It is actually kind of funny, and it's telling that it is not something that was in the script. <laughs> yeah, that it's only funny because of Richard Jenkins, just that serious, like, oh, shit, did it's, we do that? It's funny because Richard Jenkins <clears throat> is usually the best part of anything that he is in. So this might spoil the and movie for some so people good. because... You're going to lose some of the surprise, but this is, to me, the funniest scene in the entire movie. Richard Jenkins and his FBI buddies are uh, tailing some local 
people who are also deputies who own a shop where Nick Cage and his brothers bought the things that they used to rob the bank. And so the local cops who are going to try to bring them in themselves and also steal the money. God, this plot is so dumb. It's yeah, it's very odd. The, there's, there's a so, lot of plot in this movie. Like way more. There are so many subplots. Uh huh. So as the local deputies are, uh, are following it, the, the Furpo brothers, because that's their name. Uh, and as the FBI are trailing the local deputies, Richard Jenkins phones in or, you know, radios in uh, the license plate of the car. And it's something like DUH171. And so as he's reading the license plate, just license plate DUH. Boy, that's uh, <laughs> that's that's awfully telling, isn't it? And then he reads the rest of it. Then after he's off the radio, he says to the people in the car, something along the lines of, so what's your license plate? Uh, and just everyone in the car is going Duh. it's it's not funny but it's also kind of the funniest part it's in the entire weird. movie it's so weird it, it is it's, it, again i think it's only it's, funny because it's richard jenkins it, delivering it and he just he he sells anything that he does side note and every character in this movie should have been played by richard jenkins truth side note except maybe nick cage this movie is not kind to people with mental disabilities oh man it's so bad it's really it does not hold up in 2019 in that regard no. it's super insensitive it, yeah it to people with disabilities yeah. yeah um so yeah here's the thing i think that the premise <laughs> of this movie is actually a really cool idea. Like, I like the idea that it's basically about a bunch of criminals who've basically stumbled into Bedford Fra- Bedford Falls from It's a Wonderful Life and mm-hmm. Rob Jimmy Stewart. That's uh-huh. basically the plot of the movie because yeah. all these people in this town feel like all of the nice people <clears throat> in It's a Wonderful Life who come to the rescue at the end of the day by giving Jimmy Stewart um, the money at the yeah. end. Because well, that's where all and, the money comes from. Right. Is the bank owner, like, convinced everyone to put aside an extra little bit so that when it came to Christmas time, like, everyone had more money. Yeah, it's socialism. Yeah. <laughs> it really um, is. It's, it's very interesting. But it's, it's basically like these criminals stumble in and they steal all of that money. And then all of the, then like as they're trying to escape, all of the people in the town are so nice to them that it makes them feel bad enough to want to give the money back. That's the premise of the movie. And I think it's a really great idea for a Christmas movie. Yep. It is so poorly executed though. Here's, here's the thing. (laughs) I went into this movie. My other expectation that I didn't mention is I legitimately went into this movie expecting it to be one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. It's not. Here's the thing. It is not bad. It's not it's terrible, but Here, also no, no, no. kind hold, of lovable. Hold on, hold on. It is not one of the worst things that I've ever seen in my life. It is definitely <laughs> a terrible movie. It yeah. is not good in any way, but it's so uh-huh. it's so innocently not good for the most part, other than, you know, like the awful um, way that they handle people with mental disabilities. Uh-huh. It's it's a movie that feel really genuinely seems to have its heart in the right place. <clears throat> it's just so poorly executed on every fundamental level. It's so not funny, and it is two fucking hours long. It is long. a long movie. It is two hours long, Nathan. You've watched four. You've watched this movie for at least four hours. You've spent four hours of your life, at least, possibly six. I don't know how many times you've seen it. Watching this movie, what is wrong uh-huh. with you? So here's the thing: it is so mm-hmm. just inane, and it, here, like I will say that it is not a movie that I ever necessarily felt board watching like i mean it the plot keeps moving while it's also not moving anywhere like the characters are never it nothing ever is really happening but stuff is constantly happening like they just keep getting into mishap after mishap and yep. none of it is really all that interesting <clears throat> but it is 
least is moving enough to keep your interest, I guess. Here, here's as the your, thing about my this attention, movie. Not my interest. We'll say that. As I mentioned the prior information, I saw this as a kid, and I remember being disappointed. Like I remember expecting this movie to be hilarious, watching it and saying to myself, "Oh my god, this movie is terrible." I remember that internal dialogue that I had, and also. With many, 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 many years removed from that, it's a movie that got under my skin. Mm-hmm. Like, it's one that when I saw it at a pawn shop, I'm like, oh, Trapped in Paradise. I remember this movie being terrible. Yeah. But kind of fun. I'm, I'm going to pick it up. Yeah, you th- own this, this movie. Was, this was before we talked about doing it for the podcast. So I did not go out searching for it simply yeah. for this episode. I already owned it. And, and rewatching it, like, it was, oh, my God, this movie is so so bad it is painful i hate everything about it but i also kind of like it like it it it's not in the uh like it's so bad it's good and it's nope. not even uh because you know i i love bad movies that there's so much heart into them that god bless them they're really trying but just feel miserably and it's right there on the edge of that like it's a movie that if the people who had been making it if you didn't expect more out of them, this would be great. Mm-hmm. Like if this wasn't Nick Cage and Dana Carvey and John Lovitz and Richard Jenkins and that old dude who has played an old dude in everything. Donald Moffat is in the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And he, <laughs> he is always old. He is in this movie. <clears throat> he is. <laughs> uh, he is the bank owner. He is great in, in general. Not and just, like, yeah. If it didn't have all of this talent, if it wasn't written by the same guy who wrote Midnight Run, like if it had been people who just, God bless them, they were trying, I would genuinely love this movie. Also, because of the fact that I expected so much more from it, like I I can see what this movie could have been. If they, because like it really could have been a super fun Christmas romp of like right place at the right time slash wrong place at the wrong time, mm-hmm. where it is just a comedy of errors throughout. Like, can't, what it's can't trying to you be. see how this movie could have been comedy gold? Oh yeah, absolutely. With, like not even that many tweaks. No, yeah, absolutely. Like I think that it's. I mean, <clears throat> you'd have to like. Probably get the you know the Coen Brothers to come in. They should have had the Coen Brothers come in and punch it up the way that they did for Bad Santa. That would have yes. that would have re- saved it probably. But like because it, again, it's the premise it doesn't is solid. Need that much changed. Um, I mean, it's I don't know, the, man. I don't like, know. E- even if nothing was changed, if it would just be executed a little bit better. Yeah, I mean that's that's like, kind of where I'm at. It, it is so close to being a genuinely <laughs> great movie. There's a part of the, there's there's one part of this where I felt like there. Once they like start to get out of the town, you feel like they're about to get out there. Like I was like, okay, there was a point in this movie where I felt like it was about to end, and I was like, okay, you know that wasn't nearly as bad as I was expecting. There's still an hour left. There was at still that point. There, I literally wrote down in my notes, there's still 45 <laughs> minutes left. What the? <laughs> f- <laughs> how is there more? How is there 45 more minutes of movie in this? So and it's yeah, it goes if, on so long. <laughs> if this had been a little bit sillier, a la Ernest, mm-hmm. um then I would have been talking about how great of a movie it is because again, like you've said, 
it's got some good things there. Like it's got, it doesn't have good pacing, but you watched two hours and it kept moving and you can see what they were trying to do and how they keep getting trapped makes sense. And the fact that they run into a trucker, like at the very end, where it's like, where were you two hours ago? Like, (laughs) it's definitely some good stuff there. I feel like if they had trimmed out, like most of the subplots, if if they and had gone a little bit sillier, again, if it had been like an Ernest movie, if Ernest had been playing Nick Cage's part, then I would have been spending this entire time talking about how, yeah, on the surface it's crap, but here's why it's secretly great, like we've done with pretty mm-hmm. much all of the Ernest movies, the one that we've talked about. Yeah. And if we talk about Ernest Saves Christmas, uh, I'll also talk about how that is a, an amazing movie. Um. Or if they had been a little bit more serious, you know, if they had gone a little bit more, not even like the ref, because the ref is still like a blatant comedy. Yeah. If they had gone just a little bit more ice harvesty with it, mm-hmm. then then that also would have worked great. So, yeah, if the Coen brothers, if the Coen brothers had shifted it one way or the other, yeah, just sillier or more serious man this could have been a great movie it uh yeah it it definitely could have been Uh, as it stands though it is decidedly not it is so and and that's the thing again like it's i mentioned my expectation was i expected to be one of the worst things i've ever seen and it's not but only barely like it's probably one of the (laughs) bottom 100 movies i've ever seen it's in the 100s not in like the teens so uh one last thing and then we can get into uh some of the well, no, actually, this ties directly into the rewatchability, and then we can talk a little bit about the recommendations slash mm-hmm. um, how it paired not only with the theme, but with the movies from last week. This is going to go on the list uh, of if we ever actually do that, the hot takeoff with um, Billy Ray Bruton. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I actually see myself rewatching Trapped in Paradise more than Bad Santa. Nathan. Because here's why. Here's why. Bad Santa, it is so exactly what I was, what I expected that like I can watch the trailer and get all of the highlights. The rest of the movie, even though on a technical level, so much better of a movie on an emotional level. Yes, it is objectively funnier. I was kind of bored through Bad Santa. I know that is kind of terrible, but I really could just watch the trailer and have just as much fun as I had throughout the entire movie or like just watch highlights with the specific scenes. I don't need to rewatch bad Santa trapped in paradise as bad as it is. It is so it it is such a comedy of errors where like the things that Roger Ebert said uh, about why it's terrible and like just watch the ref instead for me it's like yeah but also again that's scheidenfreude like watch this movie with other people who are expecting oh it to be funny I'm about, to, I'm about to indulge i'm about to indulge in what you like the most of this movie because it's so like here's the thing that's really funny is that roger ebert's review at the end where he talks about how it felt like they were under duress i think is actually true because according to john lovitz like they everyone making this movie hated the experience of making it and in fact they would refer to the movie as trapped in bullshit when they were filming 
And another thing too is this movie. It's, I think I can hear John Lovitz saying that too. Absolutely, not yeah. like a normal person, but like John Lovitz delivering like, a line. Literally everyone. I mean, like not just John Lovitz, but like everyone involved would just called it trapped in bullshit. And I think part of it too is this is a movie that was not really directed. I mean, uh, the other thing is that there are m- apparently multiple moments of the movie where George Gallo just refused to direct anything and and Nick Cage had to step in and do a lot of the directing. Because, <laughs> that makes like, the movie so again, much better. He is, oh my God. Like, that, is what, that is what is so interesting to me about it. Like this movie, the making of this movie is kind of like the ref, but Nick Cage is trapped in this movie and forced to direct it because the director will not direct it. And that is so interesting to me. I want to, I want to see a movie about the making of this movie which would be so much better than the actual movie that instantly made this movie so much better exactly. and that's why it should be like like what ebert said it should be preserved in the library of congress for that reason so no, yeah it, there's there are things about it that are interesting that have absolutely nothing to do with the movie you do not have to watch the movie to really i mean i guess kind of for context but yeah it's fascinating right um so yeah i think this movie is not even a little bit rewatchable. I will never want to watch it again. Again, like again, I'll check it's back in with you in ten years. There's no Nathan. I will never rewatch this movie. I'm just gonna go ahead and I like you can never ever convince me to rewatch this movie under any circumstances. Will I ever again? It's just so it's so bad, so fundamentally incompetent <laughs> on almost every level. Yeah, it, and it's mm. so long. It, it it is two hours. Feels like it's if I honestly I watched The Irishman around the same time, and The Irishman felt like a shorter movie than this. And that movie is three and a half hours long. <laughs> I don't. I, this movie. And here's it's here's good. and to lead into and to lead into what I would pair it with. The entire time I was watching Trapped in Paradise, I was just thinking I could be watching Die Hard instead. Why didn't we cover Die Hard instead? Why didn't we cover? Why didn't we cover Trading Places? Why are we? Why did Nathan because, pick this movie? To be fair, you picked this movie. <sighs> I did say that I want to pick some unconventional choices, and I do kind of regret that. <laughs> I mean, it's a movie that it's okay. Here, I'm not going to say that I'm glad that I watched it, but I'm not this, like this is a better comparison <laughs> of Bat Santa and uh, and Trapped in Paradise. <clears throat> I've used food as comparisons on this podcast several times. Um, Bat Santa, it, it's like a very standard burger, you know, like, you know, exactly where you were getting with it. And that is exactly what it is. It's not bad. It's not great. It's n- not anything completely unexpected. Maybe because it's Christmas themed. I, I don't know. You get a side of eggnog. I don't know. But it's just like, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I expected. It's fine, I guess. I mean, sure. If if it's there, I'll, I'll have it again. I Whatever. This movie is like being forced to eat 25 <clears throat> McDonald's cheeseburgers. No. no. And it's like, at first this, you're like, okay, I mean, fine, McDonald's cheeseburgers, I don't like them, but I will eat them. And then after the 25th when you're like, I want to die. No, this is like... Why is this still going on? This is like uh, back during my broke-ass college days, where when looking for something for dinner, it was like, okay, what do I have in this house? And what can I possibly put together to make something resembling a meal? I have some ramen noodles, and I have a whole bunch of spices. I'm just going to throw a bunch of shit in there and see what happens to see if I can make it better. Yes, than it is on its own and it and like it's not good but then you think back like you know what i'm i'm actually kind of in the mood for that really terrible food like it's it's not good 
Like, I, I am fully aware of the fact that this brings no nourishment. And, like, I remember when I was eating it, actively thinking, I should have just had plain ramen noodles. It's funny because I think you enjoy the misery of others, and I think you enjoy inflicting misery upon yourself. <laughs> you are. <laughs> but it's. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> you are a sadist. Trapped in paradise. It It's not good. But there's so many fascinating things about it that it gets under your skin and and you kind of want to rewatch it not immediately <clears throat> like i could see myself rewatching bad santa next year if someone's like hey we're watching bad santa all right yeah cool it, it might not be one that i'd like go to uh, as a way to to round out my christmas viewing i i don't think that it's going to make that list it's just like it's it's fine if i run of other christmas movies maybe i'll watch it but i can see myself rewatching bad santa you know each year if someone has it on fine whatever trapped in paradise i do not see myself wanting to rewatch for like the next five or six years so in terms of rewatchability bat santa is more rewatchable but but i kind of want to watch trapped in paradise more like i'm not going to like i know that it's bad and so i'm not going to but but i kind of wanna god you're an insane person you're you are insane. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. God. Trapped in Paradise is like the movie that is on a loop in hell <laughs> when you're trapped in hell. So, <clears throat> we, we've mentioned a few it's times. It's ironic. And the, the, the title is very ironic and also so on the nose. We've, we've mentioned a few times. Uh, well, before we get into this, how well do you think Bad Santa and Trapped in Paradise met the criteria of a heist movie that is dependent upon the fact that it is Christmas. I, I understand where you like. I think Bad Santa, obviously, it, it is the movie that meets that criteria probably more than any other movie ever made. I mean, it is absolute like everything has to happen during Christmas. I mean, they could have been playing the Easter Bunny, but well, they make a joke so about that. much more they money. They make playing, a joke about it. Yeah. yeah but nobody so much more money during Christmas. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a movie that absolutely has to take place during Christmas for the heist to work. Trapped in Paradise is one where, it, like, it's one that retroactively, like, after the heist takes place, you realize that the only reason there was so much money there was because it was Christmas and because of the whole, like, it's fun thing that they got together where everyone pulls all their money together. But the actual heist itself doesn't necessarily, like, they just show up and it just happens to be during Christmas. Again, I understand that they saw the money and the people are open like, oh, there's $275,000 in this, these bags. And that's <laughs> so that was like, oh, okay, cool. That's why we're going to steal it because there's $275,000. But again, the actual planning of the heist and the heist functionally does not depend on it being Christmas. Here's where I disagree with you. I, I see where you're coming from, works, but you're but wrong. Yes, you don't know that the money is there until retroactively when... I mean, by uh, that logic, the ref and the ice harvest could be movies that, that depend on it being Christmas because nope, the ice, here, because it was Christmas here's why, when... No, here's why it, was, it depends on it being Christmas. You and, and you have to shift how you're thinking about it. Don't think of the heist as the robbing of the bank. The heist is John Lovitz convincing Nick Cage to leave town to go to paradise so all of like that planning and the trickery and like the heistiness of it that's all of the stuff with like writing that fake letter 
and um, stealing Nick Cage's wallet so that he thinks that the police are after him and lying to his mom. None of that has to have a little bit. Christmas doesn't have to happen for any of that other stuff to happen. And telling his mom that his friend in prison is so upset because his daughter won't even see him, especially around Christmas time. You could just like, cut out, especially around Christmas time, and nope, it would still work. <laughs> nope. Like, it is it is the Christmas season-ness of it all that even gets them there in the first place. Every, like, all of the heist, yeah, is dependent upon John Lovitz because if you're just looking at Nick Cage, he stumbled into it, and it's not necessarily a Christmas movie. But it it is still very, very much dependent on the fact that it's Christmas, I think. All right. I think that it is. <clears throat> Last thing with some of the sort, recommendations yeah. slash pairings. But don't um, it, it, it was a little crazy to me watching both of these movies. And like, I couldn't stop thinking about um, the ref and Ice Harvest because with the ref you have him breaking in and again trapped with his family much like you have in trapped in paradise in uh ice harvest you have a very dark comedy that could have benefited a little bit more if it had been just slightly darker and slightly more noirish uh and i think that john cusack should have died at the end in mm-hmm. the same way that bad santa could have been so much better if it had been just a little bit darker mm-hmm. and if he also would have died at the end yeah because if he died at the end then they wouldn't have made a bad santa too yeah which apparently is just a travesty i, I haven't seen, seen it, it but i have no interest in as much as i enjoy bad santa i have no interest in watching the sequel i i would watch it out of curiosity i do <laughs> i do love the i love that he lives at the end though because the narration you get at the end is very funny where he talks about because at first i'm like you can't shoot a fleeing suspect and funny, then funny but unnecessary they turn that into i mean i guess yeah it, it's but it's funny well my issue with it is it's explaining the joke and um, e- even yeah, though i, mean, I do of. that as part of the joke <laughs> you don't like it when other people do it. if if it had been part of the joke to explain the joke then it works but it is no but because i don't think that it was i think that it was audiences aren't going to like the fact that the, the established protagonist They're dies. They're it's too dark and yeah. And so we have to tell them this is why he lived and I guess let's make a joke out of why he keeps getting shot. Like it's just I, I, I feel like you need sure. I, I feel like the social commentary worked better without being explained why it was irrelevant. It does. Yeah. I, I, I definitely <clears throat> see where you're coming from. Now Trapped in Paradise. It's just bad. Uh, you also have with Trapped in Paradise that social commentary in Trapped in Paradise they are stuck because of the snow and so they're they like physically cannot leave just like just in the like ice, ice harvest, harvest where yeah. they are trapped in with all of the snow um, with with the ref you have a bad person who is finding some sort of redemption uh, just like in Bad Santa he is a bad person finding redemption so like it wasn't a one to one like there's you know sure a lot of themes that you're just going to find in christmas movies in general like oh there's snow they can't go anywhere oh it's christmas but it's christmas time so they're going to redeem themselves like it was just Mm, really weird how how much these movies paired up there were some very interesting parallels and uh, And some parallels between bad santa and um trapped in paradise is that they both have um very underwritten female characters who only exist to serve as a love interest. Yep. They also are so close to being amazing movies with so many great people attached to the making of the movie that I was genuinely shocked when I found out who the director of both of the movies was (laughs) were. 
Word. Yeah. Proper grammar there. Um, well, I guess was because they are the directors of those movies. They still are. Right. I usually try to do present tense when I talk about movies and not well, like past. Well, I, I didn't know if, uh, it, if I'm verbing the they or if I'm verbing the both. Sometimes English is stupid. Uh, yeah. I tons of overlap. And this this week was a lesser <laughs> week for me. It's sad, but it it was. Oh, yeah. It was definitely a lesser week for me than last <laughs> week. I mean, here's the thing. I think that Bad Santa, I still think of all the movies we've watched so far, The Ref is my favorite, but I re- but Bad Santa is really close. I really, really like Bad Santa a lot. I mean, again, I think part of it, too, was my expectations going in was that I didn't expect to like it that much, and it ended up um, being a lot more enjoyable than That's the than other uh, thing that these have in okay. common with The Ref and Bad Santa. Those are the more blatant comedies, and mm-hmm. those are the ones that you enjoyed more with The Ice Harvest and with Trapped in Paradise. I'm having to convince you why they are actually better movies than what you thought upon initial viewing. Yes. Ice Harvest was a better sell. Which is weird because I really like drama. Like, I watch dramas and dark movies way more often than I watch comedy movies. But you also watched and each of like those more after the funnier movie. So you watch The Ref and then Ice Harvest. Mm-hmm. You watch Bad Santa and then Trapped in Paradise. But the, the thing about Trapped in Paradise, though, is it's not supposed to be a drama. It's supposed to be a com- comedy and it is not funny. Yeah, and it could have been great if it had been a little bit more. Again, if it had been Midnight Run-esque and it so should have been. I've never seen Midnight Run. I really need to watch it. It's It's funny. What, here's the funniest thing about Midnight Run. It is a very funny movie on its own mm-hmm. with a lot of swearing. Like, I I always forget how constantly they swear throughout the movie. My mother apparently only remembers the TV edit of Midnight <laughs> Run. Yeah. And so at one point, uh, she was talking about, you know, like she enjoyed Midnight Run. And so her and my dad were like, yeah, sure. Let's watch that. It was like, I... Okay, <laughs> bad idea, so. jeans. And then I turned on uh, Midnight Run, and like three minutes into the movie, my mom was just like, I don't remember this much swearing. Just like, Mom, how could you not? <laughs> it is constant. <laughs> and so, uh, again, a little bit of that uh, schadenfreude of my mom thinking that she loved a movie until she watched it again. It's <laughs> very funny. <laughs> All right. Uh, any final thoughts on any of these movies? Um, no, go watch Bad Santa. Yeah. Yep. Go watch Ice Harvest and Trapped in Paradise. You know what? That would be my double feature. Honestly. Nope. If I was going to do a nope. double, <laughs> I would do a double feature of Ice Harvest and, uh, and Trapped in Paradise. Yep. I would, uh, it'll be fun. I would watch Die Hard or Trading Places instead of Trapped in Paradise. Man, at one point I was sitting here thinking, I was like, I've never seen a Kurosawa movie in my life, but I'm watching Trapped in Paradise. <laughs> like, what is happening right now? Why am I spending my time doing this? <sighs> like, I, there's so many, I was like, there's so many things that I could be doing with my time that's way more valuable than this. Like, what in God's name? <clears throat> but you know it was worth it for this conversation and you have just made the movie for me yep all right You're welcome uh eric where do you want people to find you on twitter at the chimerican on instagram at chimerican reviews and on letterboxd at eric jay 
And uh, be sure to follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Video Monster Pod. Uh, and you can follow me on Letterboxd at The Gargoyle. And um, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast: Apple Podcast, Google Podcasts. When, you know, I liked it better when it was just like Apple uh, or iTunes and Google Play rather than having to keep saying podcasts over and over yeah. or Spotify or Stitcher, mm-hmm. uh, wherever you get your podcast, just do a search for video monsters. And if you enjoyed this episode, even if you don't enjoy the movies, keep coming back. Our next episode is going to be was the heist before Christmas where they're actually trying to like heist Christmas away. Uh, we're, we're just going to do a triple feature of the Grinch. Yeah. All so the, all those Grinchy movies. Yeah. There, there are probably other ones, but as we were thinking about them, we just kept thinking of like how people were trying to ruin Christmas, not necessarily so much steal Christmas. Mm. Uh, so yeah, we're we're gonna do a triple feature of The Grinch, and that'll be fun. Yeah. And The Grinch is all, like if you ta- if you mention a Christmas heist movie, The Grinch is legitimately the first movie that pops into my head. Like that is, I've always like I, I love bringing that up to people that it's a heist movie because nobody ever thinks of it that way, but it yeah. totally is. Well, also I mean, in part because it's a single person too, if you count uh, Max the dog. Yeah. Uh, so like it doesn't have that team. It, so I can understand why it falls short on the like nitty gritty details of heist. Yeah. But also who cares? It's a movie. Just have fun with it. Yep. Uh, so yeah, keep coming back again, follow video monsters, uh, wherever you get your podcasts and on social media and be sure to check out central cinemas lineup. They've got some amazing Christmas movies and be sure to complete the, um, Santa slasher survey so that you can be a part of our, um, Christmas spectacular countdown. Yep. All right, that's been it for this episode of the. Of, oh, say the wrong number. <laughs> that's been it for this episode of Video Monsters. I'm Nathan and I'm Eric. And remember, kids, um, go watch Trapped in Paradise. <laughs> because Nathan wants you to watch it and then tell him about how awful it was, so he can <laughs> derive some pleasure from your misery. <laughs> remember, kids, the word of the day is Schadenfreude, <laughs> if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I don't think I've pronounced it the same way twice. <laughs> uh, to to paraphrase Nick Cage in Trapped in Paradise, oh my god, a movie! <laughs> oh man, there's also another part that's kind of amusing whenever they tell him, whenever they show up at the, the bank manager's house and they're like, oh yeah, the bank was robbed today, and Nick Cage's face, he's like, what? <laughs> it's so, it's... Lots of lots of <clears throat> decent Nick Cage um, moments that you could uh, just pull out into a uh, YouTube compilation and not have to worry about any of the other stuff in between. But then you miss Richard Atkins going, uh... Richard Jenkins. That's what I said. Richard I mean, Jenkins you could throw going, that in there too, sure. Uh, you could be like, here are the good parts of... Uh, <laughs> the good parts version <laughs> of Trapped in Paradise would be like 30 seconds long. I hate this town. I hate this maybe, town. Maybe a this minute. Town. I hate this town. <laughs> That, it would, that would be it. It would just be, I hate this. He played it so straight face. It was so perfect. All right. We have to go watch more movies. Let's do it. All right. Bye. Microphone's kind of far away from me. You did that on purpose, didn't You're, you? You you are loud and I am quiet. All right. That's, that's okay. <clears throat> it's kind of weird to hear because normally I'm accused of being a mumbler. You're a loud mumbler. I'm a I'm a gentle mumbler. Is that an oxymoron, loud mumbler? No, mumbling is just not enunciating the words. You can be loud and not enunciative. Okay. Now, that should be how we start the podcast. Yep. It's the worst.
Yep. 